Hey guys, Sharon McLaughlin here. I am thrilled that you're listening to the Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. This podcast is actually a spinoff of a Facebook group that I started called Female Physician Entrepreneurs. I was burned out as a plastic surgeon and I really had no place to go. Over time, I created a Facebook group, we grew the group, we're over 7,000 strong right now, and we're all about networking and collaborating. So if you find yourself interested in learning more about business, join our Facebook group. Each week, we try to do a podcast where we make connections, we learn about each other. Most importantly, we're here to support each other. So let's listen along for this week's podcast. Hey everybody, today I have Dr. Pugh. I like to speak with her about all the things that she's doing. So let me tell you a little about her. She's a mom, she's a pediatrician, specialized in infectious disease. She's a clinical researcher, and also she's a leadership coach. Right now she's based in Malawi. She's full-time working as a consultant pediatrician. She's also a physician scientist. In addition to leading clinical studies and trials, she's taught and mentored, supervised numerous uh, junior trainees both in Malawi as well as internationally. She does some coaching work and this primarily focuses on reducing burnout as well as stress and overwhelm for high achieving women physicians as well as those in academics. Her coaching also targets the development building and refinement of their leadership skills because she fully believes that if we are better leaders, we're gonna create better results both in our lives as well as those who are coaching and helping out. So Dr. Pugh, thank you so much for being here today. I appreciate it. Let's get started with your story. As far as a physician scientist, tell me about the clinical studies and how you got involved in that. Thanks so much, Sharon, first of all, for inviting me to be on this podcast. I'm really excited. Being a physician scientist, I'm involved in a number of clinical studies that I lead locally. Um, This includes not only uh, multinational clinical trials, but also multi-country clinical trials. And they're really uh, all around the issue of my, my, my specialty, which is around pediatric infectious disease. So I'm interested in looking at studies that deal with infectious morbidity mortality and this, that is relevant to populations, um, to pediatric populations in Malawi. Currently, the multi-country trial looking at empirical treatments for severe pneumonia in HIV-infected infants with the belief that um, certain pathogens like uh, cytomegalovirus um, and tuberculosis are underdiagnosed in this setting. So if we can empirically treat them for that when they come in with severe pneumonia, can we reduce overall mortality? Um, so this is one of the studies we're doing. It's, it's being done in eight other countries in Sub-Saharan Africa. Uh, there is also a number of European partners um, and uh, it's really been um, uh, an eye-opening experience to just how important clinical trials are in improving the care that we can deliver in this setting. Thank you for sharing that. How did you get into this? right? You had your own practice or you're working for a hospital. How did you get into the clinical trials per se? I'll take a step back and talk about some of the decisions I made in my life that sort of led me to where I am now. And so I can probably pinpoint a few er- a few times in my life where I've really made decisions that in retrospect were changed the path I took. Um, and so the first one I think was when I was a, a teenager, I was growing up in Hong Kong and I stumbled across MSF exhibition, uh, Medicines for Frontier, Doctors Without Borders. And my, it was a photographic exhibition of the work they were doing in different settings um, in Sub-Saharan Africa and, and, and other low resource settings. And that opened my eyes to the work that people can do in this setting. Now, up until that point, um, I had always sort of fantasized about becoming a wildlife photographer working the Serengeti Plains, uh, you know, becoming another Jane Goodall. So 
So I had these ideas of working in Africa to begin with, but it was that exhibition that really opened my eyes to the fact that I could serve people uh, in that way, in that setting. And it really inspired me uh, because it told me, it, it showed me that I can be of service to people. Uh, and that was what inspired me to do into medicine. That was the first experience. The second experience was then as a pediatric infectious diseases fellow uh, was uh, in, in Massachusetts. Uh, and at that point, that was a really difficult training period for me because I had just had my second child. Uh, my husband was traveling a lot. Um, I was a fellow. So my uh, schedule was not my own. It was an incredibly difficult period. Fellowship was where I discovered academic research and really discovered that I enjoyed the intellectual stimulation. I enjoyed the curiosity. I enjoyed the rigor of doing scientific studies well to a high standard. But at the point that I finished my fellowship, because of my visa status, I was on exchange visitor visa. I had to decide whether or not I would sort of continue with academia or go into primary care practice. With the visa situation I was looking for, it was going to be so much easier to look for a primary care practice rather than go into academia. And it would also pay better. Uh, and so that was a decision point for me about what did I want to do moving forward. There was a reason I went into subspecialty as opposed to going straight into becoming an attending after my residency. It was a hard choice because I had children. I, you know, I had a family. I had to make decisions for more than just one person. Um, but I knew that my heart at the end of the day was sort of tied to academic research. And so I made that leap of faith uh, into uh, academia actually didn't look back, but it didn't, the manifestation of that result of that decision until several years later, uh, because I had wanted after fellowship to go work directly in Africa, but just didn't have the, the um, couldn't find the post that would allow me to do both clinical work and research. And so instead I, I ended up being a junior faculty in pediatric infectious disease, actually enjoyed it enormously. Um, and became very comfortable. My children were growing up, going to good schools. Sort of four years into that post, I, I started wondering, I could be comfortable here. This is a great, uh, this is a good job. This is a good environment. I do, I think my children will do well. My family will do well. But there was something nagging at me that wasn't sort of the idea I had when I came across this MSF exhibition as a child. Uh, you know, it wasn't sort of the idea of filling my dreams or living the way I had envisioned I would live. I mean, I think at some point, I think we, many of us reach that stage where we sort of look back and say, you know, how did we end up here? And I didn't want to continue in that path and, and have the thought, how did it end up here with a sense that I could have changed things around and, I, and it didn't. You're in attending now. You're in four years. Yes. How did you yes. make that jump to go to Africa? Yeah. I realized I'd, I, if I had stayed where I was, I, would, I, would, I was coming to a plateau. Uh, where I could be comfortable, but I really wasn't going to progress, at least not personally in the way that I wanted to. And for many of us, the idea of what success is, is sort of based on, for many, for many of us in medical field, it's what other people think we should do, what other people think success is. Uh, we sort of start seeing our lives laid out in a certain track. Uh, and if, especially in the, if you're a high achiever in the medical field and people are telling you, you're so smart, you should be doing this, this is what success is, we sort of get into the idea of this is how we should live our lives. I saw a point in the future that if I continued this way, uh, I would have met everyone else's criteria for what success looked like, but not my own. Uh, and so that was a point I started looking for, really looking for opportunities uh, in Africa and sort of ended up within a six month period. After I made that decision, that conscious decision to move ahead and actually move, 
uh, or to find the next step in my career, I found a position and moved out within six months, brought my whole family with me. This has been sort of the trifecta of the sort of work I wanted to do. Uh, because I'm doing not only clinical research and clinical trials, but I'm also doing clinical work in the government hospital and I'm teaching and mentoring young trainees. So as every, it feels like it, it um, absolves me of all the sacrifices I put to get to where I am now. Tetapia, was your partner on, involved in this as far as the decision-making? Was there any, like, was there support? Was there concern? Because this seems to be an issue ongoing in our group that partners aren't always on board. So can you talk a little about that? It, it was an extremely difficult decision. I mentioned earlier that when making decisions, not only for ourselves but for our whole by our whole family. Uh, and when a spouse isn't, when a partner isn't on board, the choices you face are tough. I, you know, I'm at this point, I'm not married. Uh, and that is a result of the decisions I've made. Thank you for being transparent. There are so many in the group that are stuck because of this. You're in Africa now. Tell me as far as like, how are the children adjusting? This whole area that you've moved to is new. You've never lived there before. So tell us about that. How you know, how smoothly that went, any setbacks? Yeah. It was it everything yeah. that you wanted? Children are remarkably adaptable. So when I moved out here, my children were three and five. Uh, and so really uh, not old enough to have much opinions about anything. Moved out here. I live in Blantyre in the southern region of Malawi. It's a temperate climate. There's a fairly reasonably sized expatriate population, um, quite a number of international schools in the area. So, it, so we had options. Uh, and they ended up settling in well into the international schools that they uh, enrolled in. Um, uh, actually, really seemed to thrive in the uh, in in the schooling in the schooling system they're in now. Uh, lots of of drama, swimming activities uh, that really um, that they really just thrived in. So it, they've they've adapted without a problem. Um, have have friends. They really enjoy. They they really they've really. Um, They've really enjoyed it here. They've, they've done really well. Didn't grow up in the States. Uh, I grew up in Hong Kong um, and also schooled in, in the States as well as in Europe. I had a decent quality of life in the States. Um, I think as a attending physician, I think it's still tough. I think it's still tough for career woman professional who's raising a family. Raising a family or not, I think it's tough. Coming out here, I feel like I have a better balance with my work and personal life. Uh, I, I think my quality of life has improved, but there are trade-offs. I mean, there are certain things I miss about the States. Tell me about the where you are now. Why do you think it's different than the United States? Like, what is it that in the location that you're now that they offer that perhaps the States didn't offer? My experience, and this is only my experience, is that there's been more community where I am currently. I am living with uh, in a community with many other expats who feel called to come out to do work here, uh, work from, working either for hospitals um, or for NGOs or, or other, uh, other causes. Having the support to have domestic staff to help with um, childcare and child rearing just makes everything else so much easier. And so we were not only supporting the local economy by having domestic staff, but we're also sort of, um, you know, in many ways, it, it's, a, it's a domino effect. So you're really, we're propping up a whole system. It makes the smallest aspects of our lives easier if we don't have to worry about, you know, those details. I'm a surgeon. That was one of the hardest things, not so much the operations themselves, was the childcare. Laundry. <laughs> laundry, yes. The laundry always has to be done. <laughs> 
the funding. How do these projects get funded? Like your initiatives, you know, you want to, you have an idea for a study that you want to get going. How do you get the funding for this? Yeah. So there are international funding bodies, um, of course, at the NIH in the States, uh, in the UK, there's a Wellcome Trust, there's Medical Research Council, there's the uh, National Institute for Health Research. Um, in Europe, there is the uh, European Developing Countries Trials Partnership. Uh, and many other funding agencies. So there are uh, there are a lot of funding opportunities available, um, but it does require sort of putting in the grants to get to get the funding brought to you. Looking back on this, like for somebody that wants to go into academics, is thinking about you know either going to Africa to do this type of work. Do you have any advice for them? I think okay. Let me let me give share this lesson. When I finished fellowship, my plan was to go to Africa, uh, and I I reached out to um, I reached out to people who, to, I started networking. Networking isn't something I was ever taught in medical school. No one teaches you a class on how to network. I, what I would reach out to someone, uh, someone would then um, hear my story, refer me to two other people, and then reach out to those two other people. They would hear my stories and re- recommend me to two other people. And in this way, everything sort of fanned out in a big tree, um, a, a tree diagram of sorts. Uh, and what I gained from that experience was that I didn't end up in Africa at that point in my life. But what I did was I made all these connections with people It sort of related to my interests and it created for me a network I could tap into when needed. And it was really valuable to have this sort of life lesson sort of early on in my career. Because I think as we know, so useful to have a network that you can call on when needed. Uh, And to learn how to do that as a fellow was really, was helpful. Tell us about your coaching. Yeah, so coaching was something I came into having sort of reflected on just how difficult I felt my clinical academic career had been. Um, I thought I thought fellowship was extremely difficult. And I think one of my predominant thoughts during my training was, you know, this is really hard. And I think looking back, I just, I didn't think it needed to be that hard. I felt like if I had coaching at that time and been able to tap into it, I could have changed how I experienced that time. Uh, in ways that could have had knock-on effects for how much less burdened I would feel by some of the experiences I had. And so that's why I went to coaching, because I felt like this is doesn't have to be this hard. I would like to help other people through this time. My sort of target for my coaching, leadership coaching, is our women physician academics and to help them become better leaders because better leaders do have better results, You know, not only for themselves, but also for everyone that they affect around them. And I think leadership coaching is really something we can something that affects all of us because we're all leaders to some to some degree and most of all we're leaders in our own lives so how do we want to lead our, our own lives how do we create the outcomes that we're looking for looking back would you have done anything differently you mentioned the coaching when we were in training we didn't have but it's offered now so i would definitely suggest that anything else that you would recommend if you were to do this path over again i think reach out earlier reach out more reach out to more people I think we, we sort of uh, silo, we put ourselves in silos where we feel like we're sort of slogging through this alone. And it doesn't have to be such a, a, a solo journey that, you know, that we carry on our shoulders. But we have to take, take the first step, reach out to others. Absolutely. Tell us about going forward. Where would you like to be in another couple of years? What do you want to see? What changes? In many ways, coaching sort of opened my eyes to all the possibilities I hadn't thought of before. I am doing the job I dreamed of. So I'm in my dream job, doing the clinical research, doing the 
clinical work and doing the, the, the teaching and mentoring. So it feels extremely purposeful. But I think also through coaching, I sort of realized that this is just one part of the journey. And I would love to see this journey continue for as long as I can take it. Uh, but if a new challenge comes up, let's see where that takes me. So I'm op- opening myself and embracing myself to the possibilities out there. Such an important message for anyone listening out there. You have to be open. You have to be willing to pivot and change and compromise. And, you know, the, but that's the bottom line, just being open. If people want to get a hold of you, where can they reach out to you? You can find me on my website at drpuicoaching.com. D-R-E-U-I coaching.com. And I'm going to have this in the show notes as well. So make sure, you know, you check down below. You're also on LinkedIn, I saw, so I'll have a link to that. And it's great to connect and collaborate. And we always talk about this in the Female Physician Entrepreneurs Group. You need to network and collaborate because you will go further faster is the bottom line. So thanks again for being here today. I appreciate it. Thank you for joining us on another episode of Female Physician Entrepreneurs Podcast. If you like us, please give us a nice review and tell your family and friends about us. We'll see you on another episode.